0: Mother Earth is psychedelic. Her body is covered with psychoactive, sacred medicine. Can psychedelics help us become more conscious and loving parents, partners, lovers, and leaders? Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, the Psychedelic Mom, a mother and entrepreneur partnering with Mother Earth's sacred plant medicines to heal, awaken, and learn to live in alignment to my truth. Psychedelic literally means soul revealing. What reveals the soul to oneself is psychedelic. I invite you to join me in deep conversations with leaders, healers, seekers, and other parents. I will share my journey, the wisdom, practices, medicines, and mistakes that have changed my life and personal stories of others on this wild path. We are the medicine needed to birth the more beautiful world we know is possible. Welcome to this episode of the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, and today we're going to be talking about sexuality and spirituality and sexual alchemy and the goddesses. I invited Dr. Joanna Kuyava on, who is a scholar, and she is the author of the book, the other goddesses, Mary Magdalene, and the goddesses of Eros and secret knowledge. So how do you feel when you hear that possibly these goddesses used sexual initiatory practices? Does that make you a little uncomfortable? (laughs) What do you feel about the current sexual status on the planet between men and women? Do you feel like girls are over-sexualized? Are we comfortable with our bodies? We're diving into the ancient history, the esoteric wisdom. Joanna has an incredible wealth of knowledge about many faith traditions, the different goddesses, and why it is so important at this time to understand as women how to reclaim our bodies, how to invoke these goddesses, how to even self-initiate, but this is part of our process of awakening, and that it was really the goddesses that initiated the men, that somehow the world has it completely wrong. Here on the Psychedelic Mom podcast, what I am encouraging women to do is find your own liberty. Go inside and find what is true for you. And that's very much what the Mary Magdalene Gospel was about. It was that you weren't going to find truth outside of yourself. You weren't going to find truth in dogma. It's within you. And so today, go inside, listen to this episode, and see what resonates with you. If there's any way that we are going to do major healing on this planet, one of the ways is the rise of the feminine and the balancing of the masculine and feminine, not only within inside ourselves, but in the world to reclaim the feminine energy and wisdom that has been lost and suppressed. Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, and I'm here today with Dr. Joanna Kuyava. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Michaela? I'm really well. What time is it there? I know we're on majorly different time zones. It's just after 9 a.m. Next day. Yeah, next day. (laughs) So, Dr. Joanna Kowalbe, you are the author of The Other Goddesses, Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge, Scholar and Spiritual Detective. I love that you're a spiritual detective. And you've been an active academic for 20 years, and you use your scholarly training to investigate topics that a lot of academics have passed over. So one of the most interesting topics that you have been diving into is this incredible figure of Mary Magdalene. And many people know the traditional version that the uh, Catholic Church tells of Mary Magdalene. But you went deeper than that, and you went into the gospel of Mary Magdalene that was found in the Nag Hammadi. Is that right? No, it was found in Egypt, but in, in Akmen, in a different place in Akmen. yeah. Okay, so we're going to dive in today and talk about so many different topics. Mary Magdalene, what she knew, what it means for us today as women. And so first, let's just start with how you got there. I know you're from Poland, and you were Catholic as well, Yes. So I grew up in Poland and in a Catholic family, and
1: uh, we used to go to church regularly. And, you know, I was quite fortunate because in Polish Catholicism, we also had a major figure of a divine feminine. So it was kind of normal for me, except that it was the Virgin Mary, which is present in most of the churches. And in fact, in some ways, she's the dominant deity in Poland. So as a little girl, I would often go to a church church and, you know, bring flowers uh, and put on the altar in front of the icon of the Virgin Mary. But when I was doing it, I noticed that there is this other woman portrayed also in the church, but kind of more in hiding, in the nave, in the shadows, and it was Mary Magdalene. And what uh, struck me as something really interesting, it is that she was always very close to the teacher. And this is how Jesus was called, you know, in Gnostic gospels. So he, he was the spiritual teacher And, you know, this woman who was closest to him is Mary Magdalene, and there is some naughty connection there, but somehow we are not allowed to talk about it, right? Because, you know, Virgin Mary is the kind of pure divine feminine, which is present really in all uh, spiritual traditions in a very obvious way, like Tara or Queen, you know, in this kind of motherly feminine. But Mary Magdalene was not that. So it just started kind of a big question mark in my mind. But then it's been a long time since, you know, I actually look into it and uh, I switched countries several times over. And one day when I already lived in Australia and just finished my PhD, two adventurers asked me to go on a trip to Jerusalem with them to write a book about the adventures, which is a completely different book, not the one that I'm talking about now. And, and you know, they took me to the church of Mary Magdalene in Jerusalem, which was an Eastern Orthodox church. I presume it was probably Russian Orthodox church. And there I saw Mary Magdalene portrayed very differently, because in Catholic churches, she's often portrayed in a very penitential pose, you know, like kind of I'm not worthy pose, right? Close to Jesus, but I'm not worthy. And I just, can I say that this is this portrayal is based on one uh, quote from the bible which basically Supposed to say you know but Jesus says, "Do not touch me and it is understood like you are not worthy to touch me right because you're a former prostitute or something, so it's in latin it's no uh, tangere but actually it was translated from Greek. let me get to a, a little bit academically a little bit, which is doesn't mean it at all, which means basically memo up which means do not hold on to me because I have not ascended yet. Mm-hmm. Wow. So basically, he was asking, "Hey, you know, like because if you hold on to me, then I cannot ascend, right?" Now, lots of people talk about ascension, and it was nothing to do with her being unworthy. In fact, in 1969, even the Catholic Church admitted that Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute, and this was a scriptural mistake that was made in the sixth century. So, for six, I always joke in my talks. You know, when I have face-to-face talks and lectures, like, like Mary Magdalene, it took you know it has six centuries to become a prostitute, right? Because, you know, it happened only six centuries after her death. So in this church, you know, in Jerusalem, she was portrayed differently. She was standing in a red dress, which has a significance later when we look to other religions and mythologies, with her hand extended and she had an egg in her hand. And traditional explanation for this is a very kind of medieval, which means quite late explanation, but apparently after the event of uh, a crucifixion. Mary Magdalene went to Rome to see an emperor, which means already portrays her as a powerful woman. Not everybody can see an emperor, right? And you know, she 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 was telling him about the resurrection. And and his, the emperor says it cannot happen, you know, otherwise, you know, the egg in your hand would turn red and apparently the egg turned red. And so this is the story of Easter. That's why, you know, some countries people paint eggs and so on. Oh, interesting. I never knew that. I know. It's just quite interesting. But I always thought, you know, because I'm a scholar and a spiritual detective that this story is late, meaning, you know, it's just came and it has a very medieval overlaps, which means it was suitable for people in, like thousand years ago. And the story doesn't make sense because, you know, why would Mary Magdalene go and see emperor with an egg in her hand? You know, like, yes. So... So it's just you know asks you for a lot you know bypass lots of mental things, but I remember I started to study other goddesses that came before Mary Magdalene and I saw many connections spiritually and uh, in in symbolically and historically. So for example, a lots of people know about Sumer and the Anunnaki and you know there was this kind of mother goddess there called Ninma and she's presented in the same way you know she's sitting on the throne and she presents something, she has like a fruit or a or an egg in her hand and she presents this to a man and it is her gift to humanity. And I said, when I had a thing like, I think that this is the same posture, but that's a feminine divine figure doing this and it says that she's actually offering us a gift of a higher consciousness. That it has nothing to do with eggs, you know, and turning red. It is just she's offering us a different form of knowledge that we are pursuing at the moment.
0: I mean, this is just so amazing to think that the story of Mary Magdalene and this incredible figure that was closer to Jesus than many of the disciples got so distorted. And if you could touch a little bit on that feminine wound when you were just speaking that you basically had two choices when you were looking at your church. You had the Virgin Mary who had no sexual connection to her body, and then you had Mary Magdalene that was considered a prostitute. Let's talk a little bit about that feminine wound that came out of that, those ideas from the church. Yes, and I think it is very
1: harmful. And it is uh, present really outside of Christianity as well in all other traditions, but more so in Abrahamic traditions, which are the Western traditions, but it's not that different in Asia, you know, in many countries in Asia also. So basically it presented us with this uh, strange... um, choice, both as women and men. So as women, you know, you have to either identify, and this is what I was looking at this image, this is how I start my book, actually, right? You know, this Virgin Mary, and she's very beautiful. She's very motherly, but she's basically a completely product of patriarchal imagination, because she is the kind of feminine that is there to console the masculine that is, you know, fighting wars and he's all exhausted and so on. But she's completely unreal in many ways. And she's completely non-threatening to, to them. And she's, it's just kind of forever mother. And she's a virgin at the same time because she's a mother. And, and I thought like, how am I supposed to be that? I didn't even want to be that because, you know, I wanted to have adventures. I wanted to travel. I wanted to get an education and all of these things I did. Right. But, you know, she was not an example for me because like, as nice as she is, I can't do this. This is too much to, for anyone to live up to. Right. And then, you know, there's Mary Magdalene, and I thought she was much more interesting because, you know, she was the close, she's always portrayed close to the teacher, you know, capital T, teacher. So the great spiritual teacher, however you want to speak of Jesus, you know, whether, you know, a savior, because sometimes in the Gospels, he's called the savior, sometimes he's called the teacher whatever you prefer. But she was very close to him. And I thought, like, I'm sure they had conversations. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. And then I studied other women, which I don't even discuss in my book. There were lots of women, including my namesake, you know, Joanna, who was an a aristocratic woman from, a, from Herod's court. And she followed Jesus around too. So she was clearly also an educated woman all right so and and for salome also so there are lots of very interesting women around jesus but you know the patriarchy you you, you don't talk about it so for example when you look into alternative sources and i'm talking about asian sources like early christian sources not something that you know somebody thought out in a new age you know meditation or something i'm not discrediting it i'm just saying we are talking about concerned sources is that you know uh, mary magdalene people say hey First of all, she must have been an independent woman because she's not referred to as a mother of anyone or a wife of anyone. Okay, because this is how women were referred to you're either daughter or mother. That's how patriarchy sets women, right? And she's just Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene, depends, you know, which story you believe, right? And so she also had to have independent means and lots of means, her own money. So she didn't have to marry if she didn't want to. Or, as some sources say, maybe we can go back to this later, maybe she was even married to Jesus, right? And uh, there are esoteric sources that mention that, you know, she was actually um, a daughter of a mixed marriage of a Jewish woman and Egyptian man. And that's why sometimes people were talking that there's something impure about her, but it wasn't because of her sexuality, but because she was a hybrid. She was not purely Jewish. She was Egyptian. So there are all of these interesting stories about her, even before you learn, you know what she did, you know what she said, but even this. So that's very interesting because actually that kind of made me think about connection with these other goddesses like Nimna or Inanna, which is a later goddess or famous goddess that everybody knows from ancient Egypt, Isis. You know, they were performing the same function of resurrection
0: of a young king. So let's discuss that. Yes. So here are these different goddesses from different times, different cultures, yet there are these major parallels to what their role was. Let's discuss that a little bit. So you were just talking about their role. They all were resurrecting Yes. Divine
1: partners. They were both divine as well. So then that's why I, you know, sometimes it really annoys people when I call Mary Magdalene and other goddesses, but she's actually, in my opinion, the divine feminine that was rejected because she was not conformed to this, you know, virginal, pure, unintelligent, let's put it this way, category,
0: right? So yes, let's first define what you mean by resurrected their partners. So what this term resurrection, as you're speaking of it, what does it mean? Okay, so in all of these cases, a young
1: god is being killed because of some, for example, in of, uh, Isis and Osiris, which is a very famous ancient Egyptian story, if uh, they are married, and he's evil brother kills him. So there is some kind of story that, you know, the young God is being killed and his partner, and his goddess. So in this case, for example, Isis resurrects him. So brings him back to life through higher magic, but this higher magic includes sexual act. So this is what is another kind of unspeakable in the stories because people try to remove errors from spirituality, which I think is completely wrong. And this is the main theme, you know, actually of my book, because people don't say, don't want to remember that how did Isis resurrect uh, Osiris? Well, she actually, different stories say different things, but let's say Osiris apparently was cut into 14 or 42 pieces. And she had to correct whatever it is, depending on the version, 14 or 42 pieces of Osiris. And the last one is, hold on to your seats, is his penis. Right. So once she, resurre- once she got, got his penis, she's, you know, through a sexual act, she temporarily resurrected him enough to conceive God Horus, who is their child. And in fact, the representation of, uh, of the Holy Family in Christianity is exactly a copy of a representation of Isis, Osiris and Horus, mother, father and a child. Right. So this is one resurrection. There is another resurrection actually in another story. This is from a Hinduism, very ancient story, Mahatma Devi, older than Christianity. And there, you know, goddess Kali, she's involved in um, slaying demons, you know, that are uh, overrun around the earth. You know, there's lots of evil on the planet and she's, she's slaying them. And, you know, but she, in her fury, she forgets, you know, what's right, what's wrong, so to speak. And she starts to kill both demons and gods. And at certain stage on the battlefield, she sees God Shiva, which is one of major Hindu gods, lying on the battlefield. And she just was moved by his beautiful eyes. And, you know, it's a tantric story. So yes, like with the eyes, his penis is erect. And she starts riding him and resurrects him back to life. And the peace is brought back to the planet. Okay, so lots of the stories of resurrections, first of all, have two elements. There is a feminine there. The feminine has to resurrect, you know, bring back to life. And it could be either symbolic or biological meaning. So it's up to us to interpret. So there is this feminine presence. And very often there is an erotic element there right? Because it's she has to actually get involved erotically with him. And I thought it was very interesting that Mary Magdalene also, like these other goddesses, had this erotic element, except that it was now portrayed in a very bad way, you know? So, because Jesus was completely desexualized, just like his mother, right? So there's this masculine divine that is completely desexualized. There's this feminine divine, Virgin Mary, that is completely desexualized. And there's this kind of connection between them, which is Mary Magdalene, who is portrayed in a highly erotic manner. But, you know, the sanctity of this was taken away, and she's now portrayed as a prostitute, although there is no evidence for this.
0: Okay, so this is interesting. So I somehow missed this piece of the resurrection. And... So did Mary Magdalene also, is she part of the resurrection of Christ? That's a very interesting question. So she plays, even in the Bible,
1: she plays a very important role in a resurrection. Because in the Bible, she's the first one that sees him resurrected. So it is, I think that, you know, like people make films and they edit out. In all of these other stories about the young God and the divine feminine, and she resurrects him, brings him back to life. Right, and there's an erotic element, are present also in Jesus and Mary Magdalene. I hope people are not freaking out here. But except that, you know, the moment when she resurrects him is just not there. And you know, she just stands there in front of a tomb and sees
0: him, and she's the first one who recognizes him. So, in some ways, possibly that part of the story is removed, and that story would have been similar to other similar stories of resurrection by a goddess.
1: That's right. And it could be, you know, in many, there are many different means, but I said there is also, you know, this erotic element that is present within the person of Mary Magdalene, but somehow supposedly Jesus had nothing to do with this. And I found it really kind of suspicious, although I know that for some people who are watching it, it would be really controversial to say this, that is quite strong.
0: Now, the piece of the initiatory role of goddesses In your book about Mary Magdalene and the goddesses, what would you say would be really kind of turn what are ideas of some of the Christian teachings on its head, really, about sin, about initiatory role being in women's hands? There's so many different components of your book that really illuminate a different story
1: so this is a very complex question, but if you want to talk about the, the concept of a sin, for example, so uh, in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which was discovered in 1896, which is actually much earlier than Nag Hammadi, which was 1945, you know, one of the questions that the male disciples asked Jesus and asked him, I think it was Peter who asked him, you know, teacher, tell us about the sin of the world. And Jesus answers, there is no such thing as sin of the world and then he starts to explain that the sin is really consequence of our actions. And this is quite a deep teaching in the gospel of Mary Magdalene and what he means is that it depends on what uh, whether we make a choice from a lower or a higher level of consciousness. So for example, if we make a choice from based on greed, the consequences of our choices will be bad for us because we act from a lower self right if we make a for example choice based on uh, disrespect for someone let's say disrespect for a woman and you know and and then you get involved let's say in a sexual union of a woman but you do not respect the consequences will be bad because you acted out of your lower consciousness you didn't try to you know act on high consciousness however if you act from a higher level of consciousness then the consequences will be good so there is nothing for your soul and for your body. So there's nothing in itself, there's no such thing as sin by itself. It's just a choice based on your lower instincts rather than on your higher consciousness.
0: Yes. Yeah, so there's no original sin. It really is that sin is really lower level awareness and consciousness and decisions made from then. So how would you say, because I think this is one of the most beautiful parts about the Mary Magdalene story, is she really outlines a way to higher levels of consciousness and what those kind of steps are in A way that I don't see it in other gospels. Do you feel that way?
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Although other Gnostic Gospels, you know, also have different teachings, but they are not so well organized, I would say, in this one's. So the Gospel of Mary Magdalene basically teaches four levels of consciousness, but also is divided into parts, because in the first part, these are basically questions that disciples ask of a teacher which is Jesus in in this Gospel. Jesus answers, but then uh, things happen to Jesus, right? The crucifixion happens, and then they address questions to Mary Magdalene, which is part two. So in the first part, apart from asking the question about uh, the scene, the disciples are also asking uh, questions about, uh, you know, should we obey more laws that we already have, right? And Jesus says, surprisingly, or not, because I always thought he was a bit of a rebel teacher. He says no, because then you'll be confined by the rules, you know, and, and more and more laws. So you know, you you look within what's true, and you find me within you, within yourself, right? So he says, don't look out there and here and then and people will tell you, you know, this is right, this is right. Just look within. So, you know, so this is the first part of a Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Then the second part of a Gospel of Mary Magdalene is very complex because it takes us through these four different levels of human consciousness. So this kind of refers back to what is seen, you know. So if you take a, for example, make a decision based on the first level, which is the first be- the level is kind of very three di- dimensional, you know. So basically you, it's associated often with wrong identification, which means if you believe that you only this body, and, you know, there is no uh, spirituality in this body, right? That you just basically die and, you know, or worms eat you and, 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 and stuff like that. Then this is the lowest level of consciousness, right? Because then you probably make different choices because you make only materialistic choices because you believe only in material reality, right? In physicality. So then, you know, in, on this level of consciousness, greed, for example, or lust makes sense right? Because like, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. So the material world get as much as you can. That's right. And then you die anyway, we all die. So you know, let's die, have some fun and die, right? So this is this kind of level of consciousness, which is obviously the lowest level of consciousness for a human being, right? Then there is a second level of consciousness, which talks about emotional and psychological life. And basically, says that you start to be aware so for example if you're a person that maybe you start to be aware you had some kind of uh, parapsychological experiences or you had a spiritual experience or maybe you did ayahuasca or maybe you had some form of awakening right and then you start to realize there is something more into it it's difficult to make a sense out of this perhaps you do not have access to it all the time because it's very difficult even if you awaken and it's probably very confusing but you know that there is something there and this is where Level of psyche. So, the level of psyche it is, it is that it is not eternal, but it is immortal. So, it means there are emotional and certain emotional aspects of our lives that are passed from lifetime to lifetime, if you believe in that. You know, if you believe in reincarnations, you know, they also believe in this process. So, there is this emotional part and, and a part of unfulfilled desires that move on to another lifetime, so to speak, until you fulfill them. Because, you know, there is this kind of almost like a psychic drive to get over this, right? And the spiritual teaching that I learned, it is that, you know, that in esoterica they teach you, you know, if you have strong desire, either try to get rid of this, but if you cannot get rid of this, you have to do this. Because if you do this, you get rid of this. You understand? Because you realize that, you know, this is not it. That's a really interesting thing. Yeah, it was good for a month, and now you're
0: back to miserable (laughs) yourself, you know? Suffering is still there. That's right. So one lifetime, you might do that and then realize the next lifetime, or in the lifetime that you're in, in the lifetime that it actually wasn't it. So now we've moved from, I'm just in the material world, to, oh, there's more here. And then the third level of that consciousness is what? It is the level of nous, so it's called nous. So in the Gospel
1: of Mary Magdalene, there is a beautiful story that Mary Magdalene tells the other disciples, which are called the apostles in the Bible. By the way, even at the beginning of Christianity, such as Saint, like Saint Augustine, which is fourth century, who is as Catholic as it gets, he is a father of the church. He called Mary Magdalene the first apostle. So she was considered an apostle except that it got lost because, of course, a woman is such a you know lower being. She could not be an apostle. So just let's say that it wasn't like that from the beginning. In the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, she tells the disciples how after the resurrection she saw Jesus in a vision. And they say, what is this vision? And, and she says, the teacher told her that it is the news. Now, the news is this third level of consciousness, of human consciousness. This is... A hook, you know, it's called the hook between the soul and the divine consciousness. Okay. So this is like when you have this occasional access, when you already awaken, you have this moment of awe, a moment of grace. So it means that for a moment you connect it to this like a higher dimension, let's put it in modern terms.
0: And you have that experience and it can be a split second or it can be whatever it is, but it's a gift of some sort
1: it's a gift and you know and it lasts may last for a long time it may last a moment right Mm -hmm. but you you suddenly like the door of your consciousness of your perception open and it's very Mm -hmm. when you have this kind of experience it's very difficult to explain it to people and i'm sure some of your People who listen to this uh, will identify with this because they don't know what you're talking about because they didn't have this experience. And when you try to describe it, words are not enough because it is like describing a dream, although, you know, it was not a dream.
0: So it's just like more real than real. It's like those experiences is more real than anything you've experienced. But how do you explain it for somebody who didn't experience
1: it, you know, without sounding like a complete lunatic, right? So this is where esoteric studies come because people like who didn't have this experience, they want some of them who might be at the second stage of development, they want to have them, but how do you explain it to them?
0: In your own experience of life, you've been studying this, you're obviously deeply drawn to enlightenment and non-dual, like that feel, that knowing, that gnosis. Did you have an experience of this kind of great awakening young or and did you have multiple experiences of this kind of awakening? So if you don't mind, I can maybe give you three
1: examples. So one was quite early on, and it's quite interesting because it often happened later only when I started, you know, when I became a scholar and a spiritual seeker and a spiritual detective, especially, you know, that it happens often to people in this moment. So the first moment I was 19, I was still in Poland then, in my mother's tiny apartment, and I was experiencing a very strong fear. And then suddenly I had this outworldly experience when I saw like a portal opening in front of me, in, in my room, like white light. And I just heard the voice in my head. So this is how it sounds. But I heard the voice, It said that, you know, I, I don't know if it was in my head, but, you know, I, I don't know if anybody heard it. Nobody told me what was this voice, right? But I was by myself in this room and and it said, do not be afraid. And this is apparently what angels always say, even in Christian, you know, descriptions. And I said, not only the it said, do not be afraid, but it carried an energy of that, that I stopped
0: being afraid. Because I was experiencing intense fear. And I think that's a really interesting part that you just mentioned, the energetics that happen in awakening and the Shakti and the, like, that's a big piece of awakening, I think, is the energy. And we can even tie back to that later because the sexuality is energy. The Eros is energy.
1: Absolutely. But at that stage, it was just that, but in what it carries this energy and you correctly correct, it is like, a, and I argue in my book that it's actually feminine energy and we can get into it in a moment. And the second experience is I was already way on my path and I went to an ashram actually, which was an esoteric Hindu ashram. And I went for a proper initiation, so to speak. So you could get an initiation and I got initiated by it's basically a torch on you, but it's a complex ritual and you know as uh, through the initiation i was uh, having a meditation and actually in my meditation the doors kept opening you know like in my consciousness i could see and by the time the spiritual instructor then uh, came to me i had a full-on kind of uh, awakening it's just in a sense that i first the space contracted then the space opened up and suddenly the room was much bigger and then first I started to cry and then I started to laugh and I couldn't control any of this because I was suddenly like in a completely different dimension so I, I, it was this room but it had no physical
0: right, physicality
1: physicality it was just this energy of this room that it, it showed me it can be that much or it can be that big and it's just, you know that's unreality it's, It was and it was energy so, and it was, and then I started to feel Kundalini energy moving from my spine, right? So it was very powerful awakening. So that was the second one. And the third one was, uh, the third one was this of the erotic kind. So, and this one I described in detail in my book, because, you know, I was already a very committed seeker. I was already initiated and I was uh, studying actually a tantric work, which was recently translated by, um, by a Catholic priest who is uh, also a Sanskrit scholar who actually translated this work by a uh, Indian philosopher Abhinavi Gupta from the 10th century who wrote the very kind of famous uh, The Light on Tantra. Tantra's work that was not translated into English and especially chapter 29, which was about how to achieve enlightenment through sexual practices, tantric practices. So the text is very encoded. And at that stage, even I didn't know that it, what, why it was encoded. I thought like it's like you can, people say, where can I buy this chapter? I said, sure, you can buy it. You will not understand the word. Okay. (laughs) Because although it's translated into English, it's not supposed to be understood. And only recently by in my studies, I came across the fact that you know that texts were written in an encoded way it's called written in a twilight language it is called twilight language what does it mean it means that only the initiated can understand it because otherwise i guess they didn't want it just to get into wrong hands and use sexuality in a wrong way and when we speak about initiation it doesn't have to be formal initiation by studying the text with devotion it will speak to you because i was initiated to a uh, esoteric Tantra, but I was not initiated in any way to the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. I got initiation because I studied it for for nearly two decades. And then just the text started to carry energy for me. And it started to make sense. And, you know, so this is this energetic awakening again.
0: And again, kind of that grace of energy, that energy that translates a knowledge that cannot be given any other way. That's right. And this is how we know that there is initiation because there is a transfer of energy. Otherwise,
1: very often I was just on a different show and people say, you know, they do all of these exercises and they do, and, and nothing happens because you cannot force it. You just can open yourself with devotion to this energy. You know, and whatever whatever you know, whether it is a study, but it has to be consistent. But it's not like I'm going to do this and I'm going to get it because this is not how it works, right? it's 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 an act of grace. So then, when I studied this, you know, for a year and a half, this particular chapter twenty nine which is a tantric work, you know, I came back one evening after the study group because we were meeting once a month, you know the the translator, the tantric scholar. a a Swami, a Buddhist monk, and myself. And occasionally, you know, my yoga teacher would come, whom I told about this, you know. And and then I was um, getting over a relationship, uh, a long-term relationship, and I, I just did something that was very unusual for me. You know, I just had a very kind of very brief encounter with someone, you know, just... And then during this encounter, I had a full-on kundalini awakening. It was an erotic awakening, and it was an amazing experience in a sense that this is when I experienced actually what I was studying in the text, although I was completely not intending, you know, on this. Because uh, during the lovemaking, you know, I start, my kundalini started energy started to move along my spine, then it exploded in my heart. And this moment, you know, I actually physically lit up, you know, so like I had this physical aura. I mean, it was an energetic aura, right? Because this energy, it's called energy kundalini is actually Shakti Kundalini, which is the feminine energy of the universe, right? And it moved on, it exploded. And, and, you know, the man was like, obviously, completely amazed. Fortunately, you know, he had some spiritual inc- inclination. He knew what was that something was going on. And, and this energy started to spill on him because when I when it happened, when this heart opened for me, you know, I experienced an immense bliss, you know, kind of very subtle, very powerful, but very subtle bliss. It's not just a feeling good or, you know, it was just like honestly, without being very dramatic, like a divine bliss, you know, like it's something exceptional happens to me, to you, you know that it is. Almost like a cosmic bliss. Yeah, it's a cosmic bliss. And what was interesting that this bliss, not only that man perceived it in me and saw it physically, you know, because I was lit up physically, that he started to experience this bliss spilled on him. And suddenly we're all of this deep meditation, but almost like in a cosmic awe of, you know, cosmic awe, you know, like suddenly we're we're the universe, right? And then after a moment, the energy moved uh, up again. I don't know how long it lasted and move again and exploded. And it's post for a moment in what, what is called in, in esoteric Hinduism. My third eye, right? Here post for a moment. It, it was almost like trying to make up its mind. You know, what it's going to do. Is it just going to be, you know, like? nice orgasm or something more so it was very intelligent energy this is what i'm saying because it actually was trying to decide whether it's going to give me this experience or not and then it moved in this other direction and just like boom you know (laughs) you know the whole of my whole being exploded you know and, and and the man was just like it spilled on him again and he was just also in a very meditative blissful thing and it lasted for for months so it wasn't just like you know walking on on airs people say you know or people say oh maybe it was orgasm well it wasn't okay it was because it was not physical it was very spiritual you know and it was like i, I actually saw sparkles of energy i couldn't even perceive Almost feeling like you're birthing galaxies. Yeah. And it actually, you know, I just barely could perceive physical shapes, you know, because everything was like a kind of sparkling energy. So, so, so this was the experience. And then when I, you know, look back at that uh, esoteric tantra, you know, this is what actually this tradition say. It is a woman always through this energy, you know, that initiates a man, You know, so this erotic initiation always comes from a woman. So, but in truth, you need both feminine and masculine, just so when people, because often people ask and a man, you know, has to provide this kind of um, experience of trust and and they both experience, provide each other with great respect okay it's not that there is no last because you know you can be desires of each other and still be respectful of each other right so it's not some kind of animalistic thing but in the rituals you know they, they honor each other's bodies so they massage their bodies with oils so while saying different mantras i honor you as shiva i honor you as goddess shakti kundalini you know so it's you stay in a proper state of consciousness, so to speak, right? So in this way, and you say particular mantras, and then, you know, so you invite the energy because there's never a hundred percent, you know, it's, it's, this is, you know, it's like grace, you know, it will come or it will not come and that you do everything. So this, it comes and then, you know, the, in the moment, if it comes, you know, it comes from a woman, you know, when she goes for like a sexual ecstasy that turns into a spiritual sp- bliss and this bliss then spills energetically on a man. And then they can be together in a bliss. And when they came out of this cosmic bliss, as you called it, which is a very appropriate name, you know, a man in the tantric tradition puts a hand on the body of a woman and he says, I recognize you as the goddess Shakti. That You know, it's a beautiful prayer that I put in my book because she was the giver of this experience. You know, without her, nothing happened. And I think this is what the patriarchy is really wrong about and all actually institutionalized religions because, you know, even the gurus or spiritual teachers, they know it's there the ones that are interested in, in esoterica, but they try to use women. And this is not how it happens because then they do not respect the feminine. Do you think that Shakti Kundalini, which is the, all, the goddess that runs the universe, okay, so how does it work in esoterica? So there's, there's always masculine and feminine principle But the masculine is like this remote God, you understand it's like consciousness that is not awakened. And the feminine, which is goddess Kundalini, is all the creation, so it's the dance of life. So how do you think you would get the bliss of, uh, of grace of life of this beautiful aliveness if you don't respect it so they are trying to use it or they're trying to demean it like mary magdalene going back to mary magdalene she had it but you know she was just some stupid prostitute or something because either they push it on the side or they try to use it and guess what they are not getting anything right
0: with mary magdalene did she initiate in this way well,
1: we do not know about it. I'm just going, you know, through different traditions. And I say she fulfills all the criteria. She symbolically in all religions, she's there when the resurrection happens, for example, right? And she's very close to him. And there's an erotic element, but you're not supposed to be talking about it because she's supposedly just a prostitute. And there is something unclear about her background, you know? So what I'm saying, it is. I don't want to lie, saying you know there's a proof,
0: but what you're saying, just to understand, is there is a theory that you have based on historical evidence of how goddesses initiated that she would have been the one to initiate Christ.
1: Yeah, according to tantric tradition, it is a woman that
0: initiates the man
1: through the erotic. It is yes, through, through the erotic ritual, which is, you know, erotic, beautiful erotic encounter. But this is very difficult for people to accept simply because we also vilify eros so much. We, we vilify sexuality. We are just, we uh, approach sexuality on the lowest level of consciousness, right? The animalistic sex.
0: Look at the sexual wound on the planet. I mean, it's just an incredible shadow that needs to get so illuminated and healed and as you said, we're at the lowest level of consciousness when it comes to even understanding the divine masculine, divine feminine, and how Eros plays into that. It's interesting. Do you know Freddie Silva's work at all? Yes. Yeah, he was speaking as well about how it was the divine goddess that initiates and that that Mary Magdalene initiated Christ. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I just want to, as a scholar, I want to be clear, there is no evidence, okay? It is just, we are making by comparing different mythologies and so on, she is most likely to be in this position. Especially that in my book I discuss, you know, that there was a connection probably between Mary Magdalene and her father and the temple of Isis, you know, in Alexandria. So, and Isis was actually about initiation of man, through this sexual act as well, in some ways, in, in modern terms, you know, or in Hindu terms, you know, tantric initiation, right? And there is this connection between Mary Magdalene, and I kind of scholarly trace it, between Mary Magdalene, this temple, and how she could be in connection with them. So there is a very good possibility that this is the
0: case. But you found a scripture that said it. Well, how would you suggest too, because if we we look at where we are today, our traditional religions and Mary Magdalene's gospel, and what she spoke of of sin and ways to transcend. And really, then the fourth one that we didn't get to was really the total union of the human and God. If we're to heal this sexual wound from religion, what are your thoughts on that? How do we begin to change this story? Tell you obviously you're like wrote the book but what are some ways that you would suggest to women who grew up with these ideologies who have this wound of i have to either be this and my sexuality is bad and i don't own my body and my body is something that i'm supposed to disembody from
1: We have to move to at least the second level of consciousness because what we just said a moment ago, both women and men, to women, you know, first of all, honor your body, honor your body. That's why I like to talk about different archetypes of goddesses in my workshops and even in my book, you know, because there we we feel that there are only these two or maybe there are some Greek goddesses that people identify but they're also like just either this either you're smart or you're sexy so either you're Athena or you're Aphrodite you know <laughs> which is like completely debilitating right and as is, is one girl is why we, can't we be both <laughs> yeah I mean, what's wrong you know who says and then Woody Allen says you know a beautiful woman you know whereas this is something cannot be smart intelligent and intelligent woman can be beautiful and I think he's just perpetuating this awful outdated beliefs and we just have to shut it down you know like this is not true So, you know, different archetypes of goddesses that are goddesses of Eros, of this beautiful, blissful, spiritual Eros, which is also deeply erotic. And then, you know, each of these goddesses has a path. You know, we have these paths. They have paths, they have invocations, they have mantras. And then you can follow this path. Also, there are forms of not only mantras, but also meditations, which is even used in Christianity. It's called Visio Divina, which means you have a portrait or you have a picture of a archetype that you want to for example embody and you meditate on this because these goddesses are not just stories they just actually carry certain energies like this is energy so it's all kundalini it's all this beautiful feminine energy but in different aspects of it right so which aspect do you want to invoke but first you have to be aware that there are aspects that there are archetypes and then you can work with it But there is higher level of archetypes, not just sex kitten, you know, and virgin, right? This is just so low. This is the lowest level of even imagination, even if you don't go into consciousness or awareness. I encourage people to work with these archetypes because they are real energies. And I spoke to someone recently and somebody was joking about it. And I said, you can joke all you want, but be really careful because they are real energies. So there are lots of women who, for example, now are attracted to goddess Kali. And it is wonderful because it's a very erotic goddess, but also goddess of complete transformation. And I tell women, you sure you want to invoke her? You'd be
0: ready. You would get it. And you know, your
1: life will be turned upside down
0: within the like next five minutes. That happened to me. I actually did not know who she was, the power of this goddess, and started singing a song that was this Kali song. And I learned very quickly of the power of this goddess to cut away the things in your life and to cut away the ego and to flip your life upside down. And so you do not want to mess with Kali is what I would tell people, (laughs) unless you're ready. And then you speak of, which I really loved, the different goddesses and archetypes of wisdom and freedom and Eros. So how would you, if you were somebody looking to work with the energy of freedom, What goddess would you point them to or what archetype? The goddess of
1: freedom in uh, Greek mythology is goddess Artemis or goddess Diana. She's often misunderstood as goddess of hunt, but she's completely independent goddess. But then she's also not an erotic goddess. So, for example, depends what you want. So, for example, uh, Artemis is well known for being independent and actually not particularly liking men. So this is like an adventurous goddess but she's just completely on her own so if you want to call upon this i say you have to know your archetypes you know because you get it but then don't complain like if you're alone because she doesn't want to be with anyone okay and then there is goddess inanna she is this kind of you went to hell with your relationships and you come back now wise and you know how to put your boundaries on But now when you know your boundaries, you can call upon your lover. In my book, I give poems that were written to Inanna by her priestess and Juanada, which are very sensual, erotic poems. And then you're fully on erotic goddess, but you also have like the boundaries. And there is a punishment if you cross them, right? So so she's fully empowered, erotically goddess. Then there is another goddess that is very powerful goddess of uh, esoteric Hinduism, her name is Sundari. And she's so beautiful, erotically beautiful. Then, when she has this beautiful laughter, then when she laughs, mango trees come into fruition and start to produce juicy mangoes, you know, because imagine what it does to men, right? She carries this gorgeous energy of sensuality, but she's also very powerful because she controls at least three dimensions of the world. I think learning about these archetypes is so important. It is, yeah. Because, you know, they are there and it's not the stories. The stories are just to bring the
0: energy, right? I think I read that you said that Mary Magdalene is the last goddess, maybe. Can you speak on that a little bit? Do we have another archetype beyond her? And if she was the last goddess or archetype, how would you define Mary Magdalene as an archetype? Okay, so
1: I didn't, I wouldn't say she's the
0: last. I know she's the last in this particular
1: line of goddesses that I was looking in. I hope that she's not the last one. It is that I say in this lineage of goddesses, she's the last one I found. And this is the traditions that I looked into. So Mary Magdalene is both a goddess of eros and she's a goddess of spiritual wisdom. And perhaps even the goddess of independence. So she actually is a very full archetype because she embodies these uh, things that normally are considered contradictory. For example, she possesses, she's very intelligent, she possesses a spiritual wisdom, she is even in people who try to demean her a beautiful goddess or beautiful woman. And there is, of course, an erotic element to Mary Magdalene, except that it was portrayed in a kind of darker shade, right, of the truth. So she embodies, in a way, the full feminine for me, that, for example, neither uh, of these other goddesses... Which is so beautiful. I know, because, you know, Virgin Mary or Tyra are very beautiful archetypes, but they're kind of unrealistic, desexualized, and really unavailable for women, or even for men, as an ideal, even. When Mary Magdalene embodies all of these archetypes that later, even in a Greek tradition, were divided into, you know, the goddess of beauty, the goddess of wisdom, the goddess of freedom, she was all of these things, right? So, and in fact, in many ways, when she's portrayed, in my book, I also mentioned she's very Reminds me also of goddess Sophia, which is a Gnostic goddess that is based on Egyptian beliefs also, which is both the goddess of wisdom. She's God's first thought, you know, so she's goddess of wisdom, but also she's very beautiful, but also there's a very strong element of Eros in her so she's very sexually free as well, like with other goddesses, such as, for example, goddess Inanna or goddess Sundari or goddess Kali, you know. And in fact, when you look at Mary Magdalene, symbolically speaking, she's very similar to all of these goddesses because like all the goddesses of Eros, she's portrayed in red. So, for example, goddess Sundari. Goddess Sundari is a basically transformed Kali. So Kali, after she, you know, was involved with Shiva and she fell in love and she lost her fury, she became goddess Sundari. Mary Magdalene is portrayed with a red rose. Goddess Sundari is portrayed with a red hibiscus. You know, so it's just different climate, different culture, but you know, the same things. Goddess Kali and goddess Mary Magdalene are portrayed with a skull also. You know, it just means they transcend uh, the doorway between death and life. The human form. Yes. So, you know, the
0: symbols are everywhere. So I'm curious, in your life, while you have surrounded yourself in the literature and the echinology of these goddesses, what could you point to in your own life that happened that you felt was incredibly transformative just by being around the energies of these goddesses?
1: So that's a very interesting question, because first of all, after I moved away from the Catholic Church, when I started to study Tantra, I was to my huge surprise because I was, as as an academic, I was expected to be associated with the goddess of wisdom primarily. But when I was initiated, I got a name uh, Sundari, and I never heard about it. And then I have, it threw me on this journey. Who is this goddess Sundari? What does it actually have to do with me? Right? Because I was just so obsessed with my mind. And then it was a great learning journey because I realized also that goddess, that I carried lots of erotic energy of which was completely unaware. And it was causing lots of problems in my romantic life, as you can imagine, when, before I embodied it properly, you know, and other people's life, because it was this energy around me of which was completely unaware. And, and through initiation, by being, you know, given this name, I had to contemplate Goddess Sundari. And now I love this goddess because, you know, there are beautiful mantras associated with Goddess Sundari, for example. And, and, and she's a very joyful, blissful goddess. For example, Lalita Tripura Sundari, Lalita Tripura Sundari. And when I repeat this mantra, you know, like, in the garden, birds are coming to me, you know, people are
0: smiling at me. And I kind of embody this energy, but in a much more mature way. Probably one of the things also missing in our culture is these initiatory practices, not just the practices of Eros, but other practices as well. So as you said, I don't know if you came from a culture where you had an initiatory practice or ritual from like maiden to womanhood, did you?
1: No, I didn't. We just had, you know, like as a Catholic, we have initiatory processes. For example, you have a baptism, like most Christians, then you have a, a like confirmation, but it is like in obedience to the church's teachings, but not to what is going on with your body and with your consciousness. So we don't have it. But through the contact with these uh, archetypes of goddesses, we can. You can do this, you know. So you can initiate yourself, but through the contemplation of the archetype, through repeating of the inv- uh, invocations, having images of the goddesses which you want to identify learning about them and also repeating their mantras you know so i I know people who connect with different forms of goddesses not necessarily
0: from a point of view of eros right so there's another this other form of self-initiation
1: that's right because this this initiations were lost although if you go for a spiritual initiation it can happen right like i open up to this
0: because i went for a spiritual initiation this is how it really started for me what we, you would say is your kind of core beliefs is it the teachings of Mary Magdalene i am a hybrid myself as well because i also follow the,
1: you know esoteric hinduism in terms of it but like higher level esoteric hinduism which means basically everything is consciousness so i believe that an in this respect also, everything is energy. So I believe that universe is consciousness and energy, which is very what we actually quantum physicists are telling us anyway, right? So everything is energy. Mm-hmm. And I believe that from this point of view also, as a, we need to connect with the feminine energy because we are too closely connected with the masculine energy, which is, you know, all logic and it leads to artificial intelligence and so on and disconnected from In Christian terms, you call creation, you know, which is a body, you know, creation, the beauty of the natural world and so on. And at the same time, since 2005, uh, with great devotion, I do study the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and it carries great teachings for me and it carries great energy for me. And it confirms basically what I have learned originally through the esoteric Hinduism, that it's really about human consciousness and from which level of consciousness you want to act. So these things are coming to me at the moment, coming together for me, right? So I I went from Catholicism and then moved to esoteric tantra, esoteric Hinduism. And then life took me back to the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which is like a Gnostic, you know, before the church was established, Christian church gospel. And it took me to this place when I see clearly that what we need to work on in our consciousness is actually, you know, uplifting the feminine, because this is what we need as the world, not only as women, but need as the world. But yes, at the moment, the main scripture that I'm reading is the Gospel of Mary Magdalene.
0: And I think you're so right. This is what we need in the world, this balancing of the masculine and feminine, not only within ourselves, but in the collective attention and also rising and when we think of how the feminine energy and philosophies have been suppressed, but also just like the ideas of women in a patriarchal structure, like the just the idea of worthiness, of what a woman's role has been. We have to reclaim it. That's why I write about Mary Magdalene and
1: when I put her in the long line of archetypes of other goddesses that I think, as far as I know, she's the last of the line at the moment. But, you know, we are all there that we can embody them, you know, because we have to reclaim them. Because I think it is sometimes an unhealthy fantasy to think that we know we had it and we lost it. Maybe... If there is a tradition that, you know, of empowered uh, priestesses, but the sub- tradition was suppressed by the patriarchy. And it's just a, like a vague memory. And now we have to reconnect with this knowledge. We have to reconnect to this archetypes. We have to reclaim it in our bodies, in our lives individually. And then it will happen also collectively. Right. But it's basically the basic truth of all spiritual teachings is take responsibility for your growth. And it always starts with, you know, de-dogmatize yourself. Don't listen what is around there. You know, you choose what you want to learn. So, for example, I chose to focus on these archetypes of goddesses and explored, you know, and I'm sharing it with people that they did indeed exist in the past as, you know, as as priestesses that were actually following this tradition and then were suppressed or vilified, right? So we have to reclaim them for ourselves. We have to call upon their energies. And this in this way, we very positively actually change the world because this is what the world needs but the world doesn't need just the feminine because this is a you know the feminine has been so oppressed for so long that there's lots of also toxic feminine or confused feminine we as women have to uplift the feminine you know climb the ladder of consciousness look at this beautiful archetypes and do it to our best ability to embody them and then we transform the world so it has to be the evolve feminine.
0: Yes. I love this idea too, what you're talking about of invoking these goddesses. But again, it's going back to that energy. It's going back to when we do, we transcend, we change, we um, move our own evolutionary process forward, which changes the energy on the planet. It changes the energies all around us. And you were talking about earlier, consciousness, everything is energy. Would you say that In some ways, it's a philosophy of non-duality and that the fourth level of Mary Magdalene's book is really non-duality, that we are all that and coming back to this deep knowing through initiatory process, through grace of living from that place of pure being. Absolutely. So you put it
1: very well. It's absolutely non-duality because energy is non-dual. Energy is just energy. Just from which level are you going to approach this energy? It is like spiritual teachers say, you know, it's like fuel you know, like, are you going to have a dirty fuel? Are you going to have clean, you know, like you are, your body, your consciousness is the filter. This energy is beautiful, but we have to purify ourselves as filters. So it's actually can, you know, that we embody it in a proper way. So it's absolutely, this energy is non-dual and, but it is also our responsibility to be this evolved version of feminine, not the debilitated feminine.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking of like just my own Process going through life and growing up Catholic and just living in a Western culture with patriarchal and misogynistic ideas, you know, women become, and I'm included, very disembodied. We get disassociated from our bodies because it's, it's not really ours. It's supposed to look this way. It's supposed to be this way. Our sexuality is supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be, what are you supposed to be? You're kind of supposed to be a virgin when you get married. But So you're not supposed to really explore your sexuality. so interesting in my own process, and part of it was definitely earth medicines and psychedelics, of breaking into seeing different realms, even prior to that, my own kind of grace experiences of mystical experiences way before psychedelics. But really, psychedelics kind of brought me into the shadow. Um, I was kind of more like very up here, in some ways, maybe spiritual bypassing, like, because I was brought into kind of these mystical experiences young, where earth medicines kind of brought me into this other thing that was the shadow that I had never really contacted before. And that shadow in my own experience was the body, the woundings of the body, ancestral woundings, the sexual woundings of the body, the collective and the individual. And then it's like, as soon as my body came back and I became more embodied, I even noticed kind of those awakening experiences changing that non those non-dual experiences becoming like the veils start to drop and the like it's just like pooh, it's it's wild. And so I think first probably is that step of somehow removing yourself from the dogmas that you had, this patriarchal conditioning coming back into your body, getting to love your body for what it is, taking responsibility, as you said, looking for teachings like this too to peel back the illusion that you've been under. Like Mary Magdalene's story from years ago to me was like so powerful because like you, I was like, oh, here's somebody that I I can feel. I can feel some connection with her that is different than like the goddess Mother Mary, who was the Virgin
1: so that's very beautifully put so it's exactly that uh, Michaela and that's why we have to because very often uh, I'll just be very honest here I go to these meetings with women and at the beginning now I'm just speaking my truth but at the beginning it's women men supported me they said yeah women have to reclaim it and it was a great shock to me and women were looking at me uh, saying like no it is the mother archetype it is the virgin you know it is the Tara the biggest resistance that I actually encountered was from women themselves about transforming this archetype because, and I realized it is, you know, women are so disembodied, we are just so disembodied, we're just so ashamed of who we are in our bodies, you know, how we look, you know, and about that uh, But speaking about like femininity and sexuality, it was like, it was, it was almost impossible, like I, I felt this barrier, you know, and I had to just walk through this barrier because... They will start talking about Virgin Mary again or, you know, like, no, my mother is the ideal archetype. They didn't want to talk about the goddesses of Eros because it is so removed from us. And my argument is, unless we heal Eros, unless we heal our bodies, our relationship with our sexuality and spirituality, there is no real spirituality. That's why when you went through your experiences, you know, we have to encounter your shadow. The same happens with the Kundalini experience. It is basically you encounter your blocks as the energy, as the goddess moves through your body energetically. It shows you where the blocks and now deal with this. That's why it's so uncomfortable because some people think they'll have a Kundalini experience. And it's like, ah! <laughs> and it is like, no.
0: It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> I think this is why they talk about, like, I don't know, it's like going into the underworld. It's like the scariest, most awful place to ever, ever encounter. Yeah, so this is what the God is telling you. You have to look
1: into this because otherwise that's a big like a boulder on, on the way I cannot move up because you have so many hangups.
0: And the shadow goes deep because it's uh, very individual and collective at the same time. And it's ancestral as well. And there is no And there is no individual and collective, right? Because it is the non-dual. So when I do believe too, when each of us do this, Each of us have this process that we go through, as as you're talking about, we change the whole because it is all one. So I think it's so interesting that you said the pushback was from women. And I, I think, again, when we think about our culture as women in our bodies, because We are also dealing with, I think Bill Plotkin calls it the uh, pathological adolescence society where we haven't adulted. We haven't had these initiations to come into adulthood and neither have men. So then when you, there are a lot of women that don't really feel safe in their bodies because they are prey. It's like they're so over-sexualized at such a young age and not from an empowerment point of view. It isn't an empowered sexuality. It's a disempowered sexuality For young girls today. It's absolutely, it's very
1: sad. So that's why I actually really do not like what, you know, I was uh, on a podcast recently with two young women. I was talking about Katy Perry, you know, how she tries to embody this on a stage with goddesses, but it's also at this lowest level, you know, and then she just goes on her knees and there's like a blood on her Mm. and on her mouth. And they said, their research shows that they are forced to do it. You know, so, so even if you, if the mainstream media is kind of appealing to these goddesses, and that's why some people think like they're all evil, people who don't do research, right? It is because they try to use these images of the goddesses and also, bring them down to the slowest level. And, you know, I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but it almost is why would they want to do this? It's like, that's, and this is one question that I ask in The Other Goddess, you know, But maybe it was just a mistake, but maybe there is certain agenda to disconnect us from our bodies, to disconnect us from our eros, you know, not only women, but also men. And when we are allowed this kind of expression, it is at its lowest level. And when you somebody have spontaneous experiences, like awakening of Kundalini whether through erotic tantra or through other means, psychedelics or, you know, when something that helps you to break away from this reality. All of them. Yeah, all of them. Exactly. That helps you to break away from this reality. Then you start to question it, you know, why I was told to reject that part of myself. You know, we embody it on a purpose. And there's lots of research But also Greg Braden is talking about and so on, that actually we are the vehicles of ascension. That ascension is not, you know, plugging yourself to some artificial intelligence and moving your intelligence there. That's maybe you can save your intelligence, but not your consciousness. And then, you know, Because this is a vehicle of our ascension. Our body is a vehicle of our ascension. And for some reason, you know, we've been denied of that. And I said, no, we have to reclaim it. And even sacred texts that were also denied to us for until like 20th century, like the Gospel of Mary Magdalene are teaching us this.
0: And largely, there's still people that don't even really know about the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, right? It's not like they're advertising it. (laughs) And I think you're right. I mean, yes, would we be called conspiratorial? Probably. But when you really look at it, it doesn't look like a mistake. It looks like it's systematic and it it doesn't look like it's changed. The Mary Magdalene Gospel was found before the Nag Hammadi Gospels were found, as you said, and yet let, very little has changed very
1: little is changed. So, and people like to disqualify it by saying, oh, it's a late gospel, but it is not a late gospel, because linguistic analysis shows that it was written between AD 1950 and this is when the gospel, other gospels that are in the Bible were written around the same time. Plus, gospels such as, you know, Gnostic gospels, including Mary Magdalene, after the 4th century, they were forbidden. So, it means that, you know, they had to be destroyed. So, this is like a catch-22. It is forbidden, you have to destroy it, and then to thousand years somebody finds the document and they say oh but it's not old enough well it couldn't be old enough because you ask them to destroy it you know? <laughs> so, so this is it so you know only linguists look and others, through linguistic analysis you know this was discovered at that time but it shows that it has early borrowings but you have to go to this like amazing scholarly work, which, you know, actually other people do because I am not a linguist, right? And just to even figure it out. And for some people, it's still not enough. So if it's not enough, then you think like, okay, so some people think that um, by reading this, we are kind of nullifying what is in the Bible. But no, for example, uh, Jean-Yves Leloup, who is the translator of Gospel of Mary Magdalene, he says, why don't we read both together? You know, this one gives you one interpretation, the other gives you another interpretation. You don't even have to move away from Christianity. You know, why such attachment to not growing? You know, we are meant to evolve, right? We are meant to evolve. You find, it's it's like a detective story. If you find another piece of evidence, your worldview should change. You know, like if you're a criminal detective.
0: It's interesting, you know, I always say like with psychedelic meaning soul revealing, what does that mean? It means to know yourself whole. It's to love yourself whole and then share yourself whole. And it's to be growth-inducing, not to live a life that is, you know, growth-inhibiting. And if we're not exploring these not finding out for ourselves what's true, maybe read this book, see what feels true for you as a woman, not from what you were taught, but what feels true within your inner being. And then the other piece that's kind of interesting or confusing. And the mystery that I would never understand is that we live obviously in this 3D reality where there is polarity. And if it is non-duality and it's all one, so interesting to think that there is this aspect that is unevolved, that is still seeking to evolve. Like the the shadow is still here. (laughs) Like does the shadow ever... Come back totally into the light. And someone said to me the other day, not necessarily, the shadow, because of unconditioned love, love is so unconditioned that the polarity could stay forever. The dark polarity that you would say, that some would say, oh, that's conspiratorial. But that choice to stay uninvolved, that choice to stay at level one consciousness is a choice, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely a choice. And that's why when we talk
1: about news also, in Gospel of Mary Magdalene, because in my other talks, I talk about connection with Egypt and Mary Magdalene, because she's very deeply seated in Egypt. And look, her gospel was found in Egypt, right? Not in the Holy Land, in Egypt. So there's this concept of uh, of news and uh, which is very similar in ancient Egypt to the concept of Sekem. And Sekem has two ends. One is the power to rule, over others, which is represented by scepter. This is what kings have, you know, and spiritual leaders, right? scepter. And the other one is power to evolve. And then at this level you're asked, which one are you choosing? Because now you are awakened. Are you choosing to use it as a rule, you know, power to rule over others, or are you choosing to evolve? And if you choose as a rule, you know, over others, your wisdom that you acquired now, then you will never reach the fourth level which is, you know, the cosmic consciousness, because you are using your knowledge. And this is what, you know, if we are conspiratorial, other people who maybe have great achievement are using for this. But then they cut themselves out, out of the fourth level of dimension, because they made this choice not to evolve, but to rule over others. But when more and more people choose the power to evolve, then we are the transformers. Right, because there is this temptation to, you know, use it to rule over others, don't give to this temptation, you know, whatever it is money, fame or prestige, for example, in academia, it is prestige, if your writer is fame, right, if your business is money, you know, or if your politician is power, just use the power to evolve instead. You know, and it is a more difficult path, but then the, your shadow is your teacher. I like the shadow because I'm very Jungian also. Yeah, Carl, you, I'm talking about Carl Jung. The shadow is the teacher. The shadow is telling you this is your wound and you still have to heal it. Otherwise, you will not go anywhere. You will be coming back to this place until you heal it.
0: Again and again. <laughs> So just let's hit it now, right? So we don't have to see each other anymore. (laughs) Yes, right, right. Let's go here. As uncomfortable as it is, let's go there and support each other in going there. And it's interesting because, I don't know if it's been your experience, but kind of once you go through some major shadow, kind of first knowing what it is, then actually going into it and doing some healing... I love your detective word because it starts to feel a little bit like an archaeological dig where if something comes up, I'm like, oh, what is that? That's still something that's unhealed. And also when you were speaking of the kundalini energy piece, when thinking of it all energy, we can look at it like it's a blockage in the body. It's contraction. And if if this consciousness is unbound, it's a contraction within consciousness that if we bring our awareness to it, we can unbind those shadowy aspects of ourselves. And, you know, it's interesting because I think that our the, our lives are the outpicturing of our shadow. Like our, our lives, if we're not integrating it, our lives become mirrors, mirrors yeah. of uh, what is going on
1: within. That's why I like... Kundalini meditation is when you you know, which is actually connection with your body because it is your goddess, right? And then you feel like close your eyes and feel where do you feel contraction in your body? Because if it is around your solar plexus, it means that you're willing something away from because you want something so bad. This so we are back to levels of consciousness. You want something so badly that you don't see what you actually need to do to evolve. Like you want to be famous, or you want to get married, or you know what I mean? You want something. So your your will is actually an obstacle. Desire. Yeah, your will and desire is actually in your solar plexus. If it's in your heart, it's where you're closing yourself to, to love, right? Maybe it's self-love, because often women say, oh, but I love my children, I love my husband, I love my
0: grandfather. Good, do you love yourself? Do you love your body? I would say almost the highest teaching, right? Because if you can't do that, you can't love anybody else. That's
1: right. As I say, stand in the front of a mirror and say, I love you. And I, and women are like, oh, no, no. I, she can say to anybody she loves them, but not to herself, to her image, you know, a, without a makeup. Stand in front of a mirror without a makeup and say, I love you.
0: Naked. So interesting. I This was going back. I would wake up in the morning and the first thing I would do, bizarrely, is like kind of look at my stomach and make sure it was like fit enough, right? And just checking and making sure. And then one day I was like, what am I doing? And as I started going through this process, I took like lipstick and I wrote on my, my stomach, goddess belly, and just was like, I am done with this like self-criticism of whether my stomach is a six-pack ab or not.
1: I know. So this is what we do to each other. This is, that's why it's good to check for, to ourselves, actually. So this is what we have to check with our bodies. Where is your blockage? You know, because you may say you're, you're a loving person, but do you love yourself? And if your blockage is in your throat, it's also, that's a blockage of, are you expressing yourself? Are you allowing yourself to express yourself? Or are you afraid or of judgment and so on? And especially if you come on a podcast or speak about controversial things like we do, you know, that's normal to experience a blockage, but you you move through
0: this. I think it's interesting because I think that's a big one for women, the self-expression and having a voice and feeling like you can speak. And, you know, even like the psychedelic mom, it's kind of like a paradox, right? You know, you're thinking of just like a mother going outside the bounds of what's really culturally considered acceptable. And I think in some ways, if we can push these boundaries in really healthy ways, in, in ways that actually honor our growth and our evolutionary process to that place of true non-dual life and... I think it's so important for each of us to support women in that process. And I think it's wonderful that you said men really supported you on this path. And I, I we need more of those men.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, it was a big surprise for me,
0: you know, but it continues
1: to be so, you know, so it continues to be so. So men are also, you know, evolved men is a waiting for an evolved woman, And so we have to give ourselves this chance, you know, and instead of trying to correct our partner, you know, like... What about me? You know, where am I not evolving? Right? And uh, allow yourself to evolve because your whole body, your, your energy that you are wants to evolve. So just, just go for it, you know? And, and, you know, and even if you are now in a 3D reality, think about it as an adventure, you know, like uh, we are going to leave this plane anyway. We like it or not, you know? So at least have different experiences. Don't be stuck in one worldview, which is actually not
0: serving you anyway. Right. So treat it as an adventure if you can. That's beautiful wisdom. I love that. So thank you so much. I could talk for hours and hours about all of this. Thank you so much for sharing. I would love to know some of the places where people could find you and learn more about your offerings to kind of start this process of reconditioning and remembering and re who they truly are, both men and women. I'm sure you teach both.
1: That's right. So, first of all, you know, my book, The Other Goddess, but also I have a course, The Goddesses of Eros. And you can find me also on, on my Facebook. You know, she's Dr. Joanna Cuyava, as you see here. Dr. Joanna Cuyava. And uh, so, we're just going to go through different, uh, not only looking to the archetypes of goddesses, but also going through different practices. And, and it is open. It, originally, it was supposed to be open only for women. The organizer decided it. But when men started to write, what about me? It sounds delicious. Can I <laughs> you know, and I said, of course. You know? Yes, everyone is welcome. <laughs> and we need that. We
0: need that, yeah.
1: And men have to be aware of archetypes that are in existence there because they're also caught into this dichotomy of, you know, virgin and a whore, basically, right? And and, and what does it to that psyche is completely crazy.
0: So do you want to end with maybe a message of some kind to listeners who have been listening today?
1: I would like you to honor yourself and, you know, fully your body, your mind, and also your sensuality because this is a big part of who we are. And, uh, and yes, if you can, you know, stand in front of a mirror, no makeup, no clothes, and you know, tell yourself, you know, I love you, right? I I love you. I accept myself. And if it's I love you is too much at the beginning, you know, I completely accept myself and feel this energy. You see, you feel this energy rushing through your body. With great bliss, because this bliss is available to you at every moment of your life. And when you have it and when you lose it, just do it again. Just call upon this bliss. There are different practices and you will feel it again and remind yourself as many times as you need to, you know, throughout the day, because this is truly, this is the only thing that the world really needs it now. You know, it is the evolved feminine and you are that, you know, you are that you just have to connect to this great power
0: that is within you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's show and want to help build a more beautiful, conscious and loving world, please share this content with friends, family and colleagues. You can follow this show on Apple Podcast, Spotify or whatever platform you use. And I'd really appreciate you taking the time to write a review so that others can find these amazing conversations. And if you'd like to see a video version of the show, You can find me on YouTube. Feel free to reach out and connect with me at thepsychedelicmom.com or message me on Instagram at thepsychedelicmom. And remember, you are the medicine.